Welcome to our Coaching Focus podcast. I'm joined today by Ian Dinwiddie. Ian specializes in helping new dads navigate the complexity of modern fatherhood. And today's topic is how to be a great dad without sacrificing a great career. Ian's married to Lisa and spent many years combining work with being a primary carer to his children, who are now 13 and 11, including two stints as a full-time stay-at-home dad. Outside of work, Ian umpires at the highest levels of domestic field hockey in England, referees his son's football matches and manages his daughter's junior club hockey team. Welcome, Ian. It's a real pleasure to have you as our guest. Thank you very much for having me, Trayton. It's a pleasure to be here and an important topic and look forward to getting into the detail with you. Yeah, it's for me, it's it's a fascinating topic. I'm, I'm a dad myself, so um, I'm sure I'm like our listeners are, I'm going to get a lot out of this conversation. So, so really looking forward to it. To get us started, what I'd really like to ask, which is a curious sort of question that emerged to the surface for me is, what makes a great dad? I think it's such an amazing question. It's so personal as well. So when I sort of encapsulate that sort of idea of how to be a great dad without sacrificing a great career, then that's a sense of a feeling that my my coaches have. The men that I work with, the dads that I work with, that's how they kind of bundle it up. They have this concept of being a great dad, but also being great at work. And often, you know, in a coaching conversation, we're looking to explore it in much greater detail than this kind of binary nature of work and career. I think sometimes, you know, when we think about work-life balance or work-life integration, it's quite, it's quite, um, it's two sides of a scale. And I think it's too, too simplistic in many ways. And so this idea of being a great dad is actually for, for men generally, it's, um, it's quite loaded in, in many ways. I think we're, it's loaded in terms of societal expectations about what being a great man is, what being a great dad is, what, what sort of positive masculinity looks like, you know, what what kind of role models do we grow up with, what role models do we have around us for fatherhood. So it's really a sense of, I think in many ways, about being authentically yourself, but also being aware of maybe some of the challenges that certainly occur in heterosexual relationships where when children come along that you know I see it quite a lot uh, in terms of relationships maybe slipping unintentionally um, without much necessarily much thought into what we might describe as gendered roles so it's about I think being a great dad is in many ways about making it work about making it work for your family and being authentically you and sort of generational shift I think we're seeing is that men seeing the opportunity, certainly post-COVID in many ways, you know, new dads in the last kind of two, three years starting to see an um, opportunity to be more more involved in their children's lives, more actively involved on a day-to-day basis. And that sense in many ways of wanting and feeling like they can have it all in a way that perhaps, you know, for a generation or more that we've associated that sense of having it all um, more likely, you know, more, much more with um with with women and their aspirations at work and at home yeah and I, I love that sort of making it work for you and for others and i remember when i was a, a dad or still am a dad but when, <laughs> when my yeah. children were were younger i mean they're they're young women now so mm. although i'm still a dad it feels like they've flown the nest and all those but yeah but when they were younger i i, I wanted to know I, I wanted to be a great dad um and i hope i have been but one of the questions when they were sort of five and seven, I asked them is, well, what could dad do better? And, and that was a, a, it was a big question, a bigger question than I thought. 
And what came yeah. back was, just spend more time with us, Dad. Mm. You know, which was quite a shock because I thought I was spending time with them, but not in a way that they wanted. Yeah. And, and then I guess the other part of others is your partner. You know, I have my wife. Yeah. Um, so spending time with her and getting those things all in balance. So time for me, time to spend with my partner, time to spend with the children and, and as a, you know, as, as a family as well, as a unit. So I, I get that. I guess it's like stakeholder management. Yes, I think, yeah, I think it, when you break it down like that, I think it is important that you understand the whole picture. I think um, often when I work with men that they're quite focused on their own sort of personal direction and and from from a relatively young age, I mean, we we still have challenges in terms of, I think, how how we raise boys, how we sort of set set men up for success and women up for success and what we expect of them. Mm-hmm. And so men can be quite inward focused and quite inward looking. You see it sometimes in coaching conversations is it can be quite focused on you know mental health challenges and making sure they get the exercise they need, which is really, really important. I think it's you know something that men are getting much more aware of looking after themselves, you know, the sense of putting on their oxygen mask first. But sometimes I need to ask the question, and get men generally to think about this question of is it right and fair to the people around me if I'm following this path? You know, if I've got a, you know, the classic one being, you know, really um, time consuming hobbies, you know, you don't need to spend mm. too much time on mum's net to see uh, men who have long sessions on the golf course for their mental health or cycling or you know, those mm. t- tend to be the two sort of classic ones. And it's thinking about it in balance and thinking, OK, what do I need? And what do all the, these other elements, these stakeholders, you say, I think it's a perfect example of describing it as stakeholders. They're clients sometimes as well. Yeah, sometimes yeah. we talk about, um, you know, I, I, I've been, been been on sort of live events where certainly from lawyers' perspective, that actually your family is another client and actually your client and managing your client relationships and keeping that in balance and, and, and being quite intentional about what you do is a really good way of bringing everyone along in the journey and hopefully... Um, making making life a success, whatever version of success that looks like for your family unit. Yeah, and I and I think making it a success for everybody, you know, is say that family unit. And um, like any good stakeholder analysis, you understand what those stakeholders' expectations, wants, and needs are, and finding a balance that works for you and and for them. Um, so yeah, yeah. Some, some nice nice ideas there. So we talked about you. You, you keep stating men. And without stating the obvious, I guess, are we assuming that dads are men? Well, there's a there's a question. Um, it might be in the majority of cases. Yeah. Yes. Um, yeah. I mean, in the majority of cases, clearly we have we have individuals who identify you know differently from their um, from their birth sex and that kind of thing. So I guess I, I guess it's shorthand. Yeah. I suppose. Using men as a shorthand, um, yeah, I mean, and it's and it's interesting because about eighty percent of men will become dads at some stage during their lives, and um, so it's a vast majority of of men will experience that. But yeah, and I think and I think it's quite it's a, it's an interesting conversation because I think within solo parent uh, parents who are soloing and sole 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 care of their children, they are taking on in some ways both kind of traditional sort of. Mm female roles, mum roles and dad roles at the same time and blending those because they are the sole parent. And so I think in many ways it's it can be it can be quite blended and 
and I think from the outside of people to look at sort of my relationship and it's certainly um something that people sort of talk about especially when you have young children and when you're you know you're a stay-at-home dad is that you're doing a mum role so actually there's there's mm. quite a lot of kind of interesting sort of narrative about how I think how we look at parenting parenting roles and actually um I think in many ways um, the role of mum in those kind of if we're going to go traditional binary the role of mum and dad is much more blended and much closer um you know to modern day life is much more complicated than uh, than certainly a generation ago but yeah and i guess we uh, just listening to you there we sort of stereotype mum does this dad does this mm. um and listening to you there that's not what well, it's certainly not always the case and you know i guess what as a as a dad as a mum and as children they see those sort of stereotype roles being reinforced and yeah. I, I wonder whether organisations also see it as binary as that and therefore policies or approaches then lean into that binary mindset. Yeah. And there's assumption, there is an assumption in organisations who don't have equalised parental leave, and we'll come back to that in a second, yeah. is that men don't necessarily want to take leave and there's no demand, there's no desire to do it. And so you'll, you know, you frequently see organisations who have, you know, very good enhanced uh, maternity leave and they don't have, and they maybe have statutory or maybe a couple of weeks of paid um, paternity leave. And and that can be quite problematic, certainly in single sex relationships, single gender relationships, where you, you you come across women who are having to take paternity leave because actually there is no other mechanism. They're set, they're, 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 you know, it, it gets clumsy when you talk about primary and secondary carers, but mm. there's no kind of mechanism for recognising single gender relationships. And that becomes quite problematic. Organisations where they have increased or, or standardised sort of parental leave so the classic the you know the 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 bench the, the top end benchmark tends to be about six months of fully paid leave regardless of how you become a parent what those organizations find is that where it's culturally embedded and it's not just a kind of tick box exercise we've given this great policy but our men don't take it sort of thing but when we have equalized leave, then what we find is that in a majority of cases that men will take that leave. They will take the opportunity to be more closely associated, you know, more closely um, sort of building relationships with their children, hopefully taking sole charge of their children. Because I think that's one of the key aspects of building an understanding and building kind of parenting skills is actually for men to look after their children on their own, which is something that I both have the privilege and also the challenge of doing a couple of times <laughs> with, with both my children. Um, and then one thing I'd say about that is, you know, in terms of um, project management skills, you only forget to pack the nappy bag uh, incorrectly <laughs> or forget to put nappies reload yeah. the nappy bag yeah. you only forget that once because you just make sure it happens again and so men taking sole charge of their children on a kind of regular dirt basis even for you know, a number of weeks without having somebody else that they can delegate to yeah. really really build skills and connections with their children in particular and i think it it, it also builds an understanding of how challenging being a, a mum, if i may use mm. that term uh, is um which is a full-time role you know and if that that individual that mum is in work as well that's that becomes two jobs within the time that they've got yeah 
I think there's there's these two concepts that um, often talk about. There's a concept of second shift and there's a concept of mental load. And the second shift is a concept that came out of sociology in the early 1980s in America. And this idea of a first shift taking place in the workplace and a second shift is what you do when you come home. It tends to be quite visible labour. So mm. it tends to be um, so cooking, cleaning, very um, obvious things that need to take place, taking the bins out gardening all these things would come under the second shift concept but the the perhaps the most interesting one is actually on the mental load and that's the um the unseen labor the knowledge the understanding the things that we hold in our heads um that i find myself in quite an interesting position because i've experienced it firsthand myself and yeah. in this kind of non-traditional family role that we set up originally lisa and i is that I understand more about that mental load thing. It's kind of that classic question. It's like, do you know who your child's doctor is? Do you do you know their shoe size? Things like that. Mm -hmm. That actually, if you mm -hmm. ask men, it's quite a in a in a in a, in a big setting. So like actually, you'll find that mums will know that to, often, not all the time, obviously not exclusively, um, and and dads might not know. But like, oh, actually, I don't know that, or I. You know, yeah. I don't, you know, there's certain things that and certain bits of knowledge or, you know, when when do certain things need to happen? And often that hidden labor, that mental load is being disproportionately held by women in heterosexual relationships. That's really interesting because I was just, as I said, I would at the beginning of this podcast sort of reflect on on my role as a, as a dad when my children were younger. And I'd, I'd like to think I helped on the second shift. But now you're talking about that, I, I took on very little of the mental load. Um, yeah. And that must be, well, it is very tiring, I'm sure, um, for those it who is. do take that on. It is. And I think for for any men sort of listening, well, anyone listening really, is to think about if you've got children who are in primary school, which is when this usually sort of takes place, is yep. who is in the WhatsApp group? Who is in the class WhatsApp group? Now, sometimes these class WhatsApp groups are positioned as mum's groups. Now, they absolutely shouldn't be because you're starting from a point that's um quite challenging yeah. but um you know who i so i'm in the what's called i'm in the whatsapp class whatsapp group and so is lisa but that's quite unusual there's a, so, a solo dad who's in there and there's maybe one other dad but the majority of those conversations those mental load those admin things around you know pe days changed um have everyone seen the harvest festival information these sharing of knowledge around um, around sort of primary age children is being done predominantly by women in those relationships, heterosexual relationships. The men just aren't present in those spaces and they need to be and they ought to be because what we have seen post-COVID, and I've certainly seen it on a personal level, a lot more men doing pickups and drop-offs as we see flexible working being much more, flexible yeah. and remote working being much more common, but they're not engaging they're, so they're doing that sort of engaging you know, that time, precious time with your children, walking to, them to school. But actually, they completing the circle is about understanding, you know, what needed to be in the bag this morning because you're in the right spaces. And it's not just it can't just be women's spaces. They need to be men and dads need to be within those spaces. If you want true equality and you want to be truly connected and to be truly, uh, you know, and have equality at home, you do need to be in those spaces that might feel it sometimes might feel a little bit uncomfortable to be there. Yeah. So what I'm picking up in is to be a great dad is to understand what for you and, and for those around you, those stakes, what me, being a great dad means, but also with your partner sharing that emotional load and being in that space to you know, communicate and understand 
you know, the other elements beyond just that second shift? Yeah, absolutely. And I think um, traditional roles can provide great certainty in relationships. And actually, it worked, you know, for a significant minority, it works really, really well. But with increasing numbers of dual income relationships, certainly, um, you know, certainly women in heterosexual relationships out earning their partners. I think there's American research, about 30% of all marriages, women are earning more than men, which is a lot higher than I thought it might be. Mm. Um, and that's increased over, over the last 20 years or so. I think it's Pew, uh, Pew Institute research. Um, and so you're seeing these dynamics, actually the dynamics in terms of that kind of breadwinning and caring responsibilities are shifting, but unless that second shift and mental load shifts as well, then actually you've got women in the workplace who are, um, are, are you know putting in the hours at work and also the hours at home and also the hours up here thinking yeah. about what's going on and organizing and being the project manager of the house i think that's one part of being a great dad as you say is not only doing it but first the first step is being aware of it and being aware of just how much stuff goes on yeah. and then taking control of some of those elements and divvying them up so owning them having ownership of things so quick quick example i don't do any of the clothes shopping for the children so that's not my job lisa does all the clothes shopping for the children she knows exactly the sizes that's her job responsible for that i do everything food related i do everything in terms of paying bills in terms of making sure the kids have got the right stuff for school on the right day and the piano book goes in on a monday and make sure that's in and all these kind of things i own all of those bits and pieces um and we divvy it up so that and that's i think it's a really important part of that equality piece is actually for men is to own elements of it and not just be told what to do it's like yeah. your job is to do this mm -hmm. own it work out how you're going to do it there's an element of allowing men to do that yeah which is a whole well, if I, on its own. well let's come on to that because i certainly when my children were primary school was told what i needed to do mm. which in a way is is supporting the second shift but not that taking on that mental load because yes. it's quite transactionary yes. and it's not that i didn't want to so how did you get to a point with your wife lisa where mm. it sounds like you using your terms you divvied that up really well the mental load and the second shift how did that Help dads understand how you achieve that. Yeah. Um, so I think it, it it goes back to, I guess, in many ways, intentionally designing how we were going to live our lives. We knew when, so Freya is um, 13 now. So going back to 2010, I had two weeks of statutory leave. Lisa has six months of fully paid leave. And when that when that leave ended, without we didn't want to use nursery heavily to start with that we wanted to kind of balance it but we didn't have any grandparents around who could help out which is kind of the classic sort of sort of scenario so one of us had to do something something differently and i was a management consultant at the time i could work flexibly lisa was earning more the gender pay gap in our house has gone from uh large to ridiculous in our home and but we intentionally designed and so the financial side of things really, really mattered, but we intentionally designed uh, a lifestyle that meant that I prioritised looking after the children as a first and foremost part of that. Um, and so we were quite had to be quite intentional about about how we would do things. And then we have we we have regular conversations. We check in on things. We we use um, you know we use shared diaries. We check you know I think we probably from my experience of working 
with newish dads. You know, I work work in the parental transition field. And I don't think enough couples are having enough kind of boring conversations about who does what and when and how do we make this work. Mm. And part of it comes out of this, this differential between leave is that when men have limited access to limited numbers of weeks of leave and their female partners in heterosexual relationships are getting six months leave, yeah. then the way that we do things in our family is often set by the way the mum does things and wants to do things. So she becomes the default lead, the lead carer, the lead everything. And actually for Lisa and I, that didn't really happen because after six months I was the lead. And so we flipped it around. So it's, and then I set my own sort of expectations and my own way of doing things. And it can be quite challenging for Men who haven't yet built the skills and the connections and seen the day-to-day -day operation of, okay, so we need to have the right clothes, we need to make sure the washing's done the right way, running washing loads, because you know, they, you know I know the four washing loads we do in our house because I've done it over and over again, and I did it from quite a young age. But if you haven't got the experience, and this is one of the challenges that men sometimes have, is that they don't necessarily have the experience, and then it can be quite challenging for their female partner to maybe let them make mistakes there's a concept called maternal gatekeeping which is this idea it's partly driven by psychological changes when when women become mothers and actually it's a protective instinct largely but also it's a sense of doing it in the right way and just to wrap this little bit up because i appreciate i can talk for this for, forever there's also we can't we can never underestimate the social stigma of getting things wrong so men are let off mistakes in terms of clothing choices perhaps of not sending you know not sending the child in with the right stuff oh it's okay it's only a dad you know he don't what does he know kind of thing mm -hmm. women face a lot more social stigma in terms of getting things wrong of not having the packed lunch done of being seen as a bad mum whereas the same mistakes made by men are kind of dismissed as that's just a, you know hey it's just a dad he's doing laughed his best off, kind yeah. of thing it's laughed off and it's yeah. not helpful on either side and as a result that possibly we have we have women who feel like they 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 need to tell their husband exactly how to do things because they, they can't make a mistake because actually the social stigma that comes with that and the social and the, the challenge that comes with getting it wrong is quite demoralizing from a sense of being a good mum to use the alternative yeah. men can get away with a lot more um, slackness in many ways, I think. Is, yeah, is part of it. So, I, I yeah. find that fascinating in what you just outlined there, because it, it sort of not only are we challenged by the sort of gender stereotypes, your mum, I'm dad, so therefore we fit into those boxes. Mm. You then put that onto organisational policies, where going back to what you said, you get two two weeks. Lisa got six months, so she's given time and sort of feels like she should own that and become the mother because she's got time at home, not having to go to yeah. work where you have to. And then also dad doesn't get that experience. You know, not only does he not know how to use the washing machine, probably doesn't know where it is. Um, yeah, and then, then mum choosing and doing things, there's a pressure on mum to yeah. get stuff right. And dad just yeah. sits in the background. Yeah. Being told, being told, told what to do. What to yeah, do on the second shift. Having, yeah. you know, that, that kind of classic sort of, mum's um, away for the weekend but she's prepared food for everyone for the weekend it's like don't do it don't do it yeah they, they, instructions everywhere yeah yeah men need to 
dads new new dads need to learn the skills and they need to have the space to make the mistakes and the challenge is because because you know in a lot of relationships women have a head start of six months and what's really really interesting is that in in single gender relationships this kind of dynamics at home don't really come up in the same way so there's a brilliant book called the equal parent by paul morgan bentley um who i've yeah recorded and done 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 an event with and met met him before and he and his his husband they the way they do things isn't isn't through this gendered filter and this is what you find mm. is that the domestic equality is actually much easier to um achieve because you don't have dad jobs and mum jobs you just have jobs that jobs, are done and yeah. it just happens to be two men who are doing them and so it tends to be much more skill uh, skill based or time based or you know desire based and there's a negotiation there but it's not through the filter of gender uh, there are challenges um, certainly within how we perceive in the workplace in terms of single gender relationships, but domestically, you know, from the conversations I've had, um, it's much easier to it's much easier to kind of negotiate within the relationship because we haven't got this sense of, and we haven't potentially, you know, we haven't got this kind of gender norms from the outside as well, whether that's yeah. you know well-meaning mother-in-laws or parents or or what we see around us in society. So it. Uh, it's a fast. I, 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 you know, that whole gender equality piece at home, I think, is fascinating. But I think it's also important to understand sort of where it comes from—a place of, often it comes from a place of caring and a case of place of trying to get things right and not making mistakes. And it comes from a good place. It's just good to understand. Yeah, how and, it's and may there. I talk into that good place? Because mm. I, I, I think it would be fair to say most, if not all, dads partners want to do a great job. Mm. Um. But they're in this sort of space where I'm going to use the term not allowed to mm. because mum, the mother, wants wants to get it right and not to make mistakes. So when you're coaching dads, do you see that sort of I'm going to use the term that shows up. You, you, I'm useless. I, I'm trying my hardest, but I can't seem to contribute or can't seem to fill that gap and find the balance that you and your wife have found so brilliantly. So does that come up as a challenge for dads? So it's it's interesting in terms of who I coach. So actually, I think that organisations are missing a trick in that my experience of coaching tends to be that I coach men who have already engaged in extended periods of leave. They're taking extended okay. shared parental leave or they've got um, ring-fenced um, parental leave that they can access. So they've already made decisions or they've already got some time and space to engage in the topic. Yeah. I don't get to work with um, the men who only have two weeks leave who are who are you know, taking on very traditional roles or their relationship mm. is a very mm. traditional roles mm. and perhaps are actually struggling more. And I think it's something that organizations mm. miss is actually the people we really need to support are the the men who are going to become dads and help them to process and understand what it looks like after, you know, after the baby's born. You know, a lot of you know, a lot of NCT, you know, the classic thing challenge with NCT and also with you know, doctors kind of surgery groups is it's up until birth it's like well you off you go kind of thing but actually we need to think more broadly around that so we met and, and men who are being pulled in these two different directions i want to be a great dad but actually at the moment depending on you know 
certainly in the early days obviously there's there's paid maternity but but they can see it kind of running out does my partner want to go back to work I've, I've got to work first and foremost i need to provide because that's what our setup is and actually they they struggle a little bit so the men i actually coach are a little bit more they're further down that journey so there's they've got a much better understanding which makes yeah. it relatively easy to do but it's in terms of i'm trying to think of this particular individual it's Sometimes you're unpicking. So I, I work with men, you know, often I work with men whose children are four or five years old. So we've got out of that kind of survival phase and we're coming up and we're thinking, often men are thinking about legacy, they're thinking about connection, they're thinking about, okay, well, you know, best, second best time, you know, best time to start was then, second best time to start thinking about this is now. How do I unpick and actually how do I get involved? And so it's changing, it, it's starting to kind of have conversations about, who owns what they're doing and it mm. can be quite difficult because although perhaps they've got a female partner who is struggling with the mental load in the second shift and their career um, but certainly on the mental load side of things they're so used to doing it and it's so used to that relationship dynamic is to have those conversations is can be quite challenging for men to do because they're starting to unpick at the fabric of the kind of the the tacit and often it is tacit is not kind of explicitly um kind of constructed that tacit agreement about how we do things yeah and for a man who wants to be more involved and being yeah. more and also you you can't take away the sense that being more actively involved in their children's lives may have a knock-on effect of how they're perceived at work and they may fear that okay well i want to be involved but if i'm asking for something if i want to go to four days a week what does that mean for my longer term prospects? Actually, if we've as a as a in a relationship, if we've built our future kind of financial prosperity on I, I do this, I work these out, yeah, you know, I, I do this type of job, and then I'll get promoted to this level, and then we can buy that bigger house. Starting to have a conversation to unpick that can be quite challenging for them. And so being authentic, going back to that bit around, you know, what, what a great dad is, being authentic and having the conversation first with yourself about what you really want then at least allows you to kind of create a kind of certainty in your own mind about, okay, well, what's, you know, how do I have the next conversation, the conversation yeah. at work potentially, or the conversation at home within my yeah. relationship. And I'm picking two bits up here. And if I may, I'm, I'm going to go mm. to the first bit I heard, which was, if I heard you right, you start poaching uh, dads when their children are about five years old. Is that, did I hear that right? Well, that's, that's one part. So, my private my private clients tend to be uh, men who are um, whose children are about sort of four or five years old. So I have two types of clients. I have I have a, I have a few private clients who um, who are interested in kind of legacy, and they they've sort of seen my work. I don't sort of actively seek out sort of private clients yeah. particularly, and so they're in a very different place to the men who are coming to me through corporate you know corporate leads, um, corporate organisations for whom they are providing coaching as part of a parental transition program okay. a return okay. to work so they so there's two different types of men actually there's men who are taking leave and therefore they're much more connected with uh, the opportunities and also the practicalities of you know sharing sharing the caring and the breadwinning responsibilities yeah. and then sometimes you're working with men whose children are that bit older and so some of those norms within the relationship have been established for a longer mm. period of time and I guess that's what I was coming back to is helping men to establish those norms, to find that relationship with their partner that works to share that 
not only the second shift but the mental load and i guess that has to happen right at the beginning of of fatherhood when when the child is born because i remember when i had my first daughter in the first six months i said to my wife i'm not sure i can go on you know so we found a way of, of yeah. managing that um and 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 the relationship built from those sort of set as you say setting those norms from mm. those early months of, of fatherhood um yeah i think it's um there's yeah the it's hard it's the best time is is in those early days yeah. and i think the best time is actually is actually engaging with men who have only taken a limited amount of leave because they're probably the ones who are struggling emotionally with that sense of balance men who have already made the decision to take you know three six months off six months off and are thinking okay i need to i'm going to work four days a week that's what i'm going to do can you help me to work out how i how i manage this at work because no one else not many other guys do it how do i how how am i going to do this how am i going to be perceived what am i you know we work on their strengths and things like that so although fatherhood is kind of a journey that a lot of men sort of progress through then it, the milestones can be different and they, they come very quickly in those early days. And anything you can do to have intentionally have conversations within relationships and within those stakeholders at work as well yeah. as to kind of, you know, what your expectations are. And I think it's easy to assume, easy to assume, uh, you know, a, a dad, new, new dad in a workplace, it's easy to assume there aren't other dads in the workplace who feel the same way and are actually doing it or maybe we haven't quite noticed how they're balancing things or are worried about the same kind of challenges so the other point i want to come back to is around parental leave mm. and you, you know you mentioned going to for men who want to go down to or dads want to go down to a four-day week and we mustn't forget the title of this podcast which is about being a great dad but at the same time developing a great career mm. um do you find men come to you and say, look, I, I can't go to a four-day week because it's going to impact my career or the stigma that that might that I'm failing, that I can't keep up with managing a family and managing a career? Do you see? Do you have men that come to that? A little bit, yes. Um, it will be, it's kind of all, when you think about, okay, what design, you know, think about what's your ideal, what does your ideal week look like? And actually, when you get back into, okay, in the perfect week, I'd be at home on these days and I do that because actually partner has, you know, she has, you know, her hobby is on a Wednesday night. So I want to be working from home on a Wednesday so I can pick up all those aspects. And I'd really, and it'd be great if I could work from, you know, if I could work four days a week. The first bit of the conversation, the first barrier tends to be more about, but we can't afford to do that. Mm. So, and it's that case of, I think, uh, that sense of, of of saying, okay, how much money do we have now and what can we do with it? Rather than, and actually a better way of looking at it sometimes, going back to kind of first principles, what do we want to achieve from our life and how much money do we need to earn to achieve that? And when you flip it around, actually what you often find is that there are, you don't often in individuals find that they don't need to earn or or the relationship doesn't need to earn as much as they thought they did because we just kind of we spend the money we have and if you have lots of money maybe you buy a new bigger house but actually sure. if you started off from first principles actually what you really want to do is to be better connected with your children and maybe yeah, so that means working four days a week and having the same size house whatever those kind of it's that kind of interplay and so often it's about kind of 
what are you what do you really want to achieve from it and sometimes yeah. you'll find that men often are, you know, i sometimes work with men who are like they'll come they'll come to me in our first engagements like well I'm, when i go back i'm going to be four days a week and there's a lady called Dr. Jasmine Kelland at the University of Plymouth. And she describes um, some groups of men as cavalier carers. They don't really care about what other people think. Four days a week is what they want to do. It's what's good for their relationship. And if their career suffers a bit or in proportion to what it might have done, that's fine because mm -hmm. this is what we've decided to do it. She also called, called them something else, but it's not podcast friendly, um, okay. but it's uh, uh, um, something to do with fathers. Um, but she called cavalier carers, but it's men who internally feel like it's something that's important to do, but you can't really build policy around cavalier carers because they're already like, yeah, being a great dad, it means for me means four days a week, yeah. but you, you, you need to, there's a whole other group of men who aren't perhaps brave enough in inverted commas to do that or the barriers that are around them are too too great so um there is certainly a desire and i certainly see it as a diff very much a difference between coaching new dads pre-pandemic and and since covid because of how the opportunities to work in different ways and, and men and men's eyes eyes have been opened in terms of how we can blend and integrate these different aspects work and family life you know, yeah quite simple terms uh, so what I'm hearing is is dads having a reflection and saying, what is it that I really want? And then from that, can I afford to do that, both time and, and, and obviously money as well? Yeah. And, and that then crafts the, the plan ahead and the way in which they operate and find that work-life balance with the family and other things. Um, that's, and we're calling that's them the... cavalier, cav cavalier dads, right? Cavalier carers, yeah, sometimes carers, cavalier, sorry, carers, cavalier carers, yes. yeah. Um, yeah. But I think that's the place you want to get to is what do I want first and then how do I get there? What we tend, what I tend to find, do what you tend to find generally with men is like, this is where I am at the moment. I can't possibly do anything differently because of X, Y, and Z. And, and some of that might be finances, but often that is a um that's not a conversation they've explicitly had with their partner. Actually, that's sometimes the big thing is that you know you ask the question. How much have you talked about that with with your wife? It's like, mm, not that much. And sometimes you get them where they absolutely have. Yeah, we've planned it out. We've worked out. We have these really great conversations. We we understand our direction as a couple and what our trade-offs are. But more often than not, it's something that's up here that they're worried about. And it's about helping them find a way of expressing it and start those conversations. I'd like to change the sort of focus of the conversation, if I may, Ian, a focus on the organizational element. Mm. And what I'm picking up is that organizations should be considering the balance that they have with the, the mother and the father, maternity leave, paternal leave, paternity leave, but also the value that having that balance and equality for, for all parties within the organization, the value that that gives not just to, to the individual, but to the organisation as well. So can you talk into your mm. own experience and the value that you see of having, you know, those more flexible and agile approaches to fatherhood and motherhood? Yes, yeah, an entire podcast all on its own, I think, <laughs> <laughs> um, in terms of that. I think I'll start with a kind of personal um, story. Um, 
I, uh, I when, when I first started working in this field, I, I did a present. I was invited to do a presentation at my wife's old business, and the the lady who got me in was I think she's around about thirty years old, didn't have children. And she said to me, uh, she said when I first met Lisa, that was my wife Lisa, she said when I first met Lisa, I didn't think Lisa had children because I didn't think a mum could do this job, and she said I realised how damaging that was for my prospects as a young woman, prospects of everyone around me. If I thought that, then everyone probably thought that. And so this mm. sense of discounting sort of motherhood, discounting sort of the female experience, and this assumption that um, women will have children and they will want to take leave and they will want to work in a different way, men won't. And it's that kind of sense that actually in organisations where there are opportunities to take enhanced leave. Men do take it, subject to a bit of um, line management pressure, and touch on that in a minute. Um, men do take leave, and so you change the culture of an organisation so that when you're thinking about, okay, well, who's the best prospect for promotion or who, but who's the best kind of candidate? And you have two equally qualified candidates. If you think, if you can't tell which one of them is going to want to take leave, which one of them is going to want to work four days a week, you can't explicitly, implicitly uh, or otherwise kind of discriminate against the female candidate in many cases because you can't take make, make those assumptions. So one of the big things about um, supporting new dads at work and why it's a route to gender equality is you start to change the culture of how you see women in the workplace as opposed to how you see men in the workplace. If you can break those assumptions, then you do enormous you you create a you create a very different way of working i think you create a very different way of what success looks like you you create environments where actually as long as the job's done then how and when you do it is perhaps less of an issue because you have large numbers of men potentially who have gained enormous kind of skill you know across it you know enormous kind of transferable skills in terms of hands-on parenting but also they've created they've they've taken leave they looked after the children on the own on their own they understand a female kind of gender perspective in a way they mm. wouldn't otherwise know and they take that into their day-to-day -day. and so you you build you build much more um yeah, much more sort of balanced environments, much more, um, you know, equal, you know, gender, you know, those kind of gendered norms kind of get broken up because actually the whole organization knows young man going to take leave. Okay, fine. We need, it's a resource planning issue rather than a, um, rather than a, um, you know, more sort of, sort of tightly controlled kind of sense of, well, he doesn't take leave because he's a man. And therefore, we don't need to worry about him. These women all do. And we start discounting their experience in the same way that um, you know Lisa's colleague sort of assumed that that was the case. So, you you know, that big thing is around the culture of the organisation. And I guess the impact on sort of the wider societal element is that we start to understand the jobs and the demands of the mother and the father in a, in a more balanced way. Because yeah. fathers are doing more of that sort of emotional load, as you as you talked about. Yeah, we start to move towards seeing um, instead of seeing it as mothers and fathers, we start to see them as parents generally. Yeah, and I think it's and and it's an interesting conversation because I think in the best will in the world, we want to treat parents as parents. I think that's the ideal situation: is that we we have the gender neutral parents, and it's a parenting experience rather than a yeah. fatherhood motherhood experience. Mm -hmm. But our starting point isn't at that position yet. So I'm a I'm a big advocate of um, 
you know, tailored programs for for mums and tailored programs for dads because actually the starting point the societal expectations around those individuals the assumptions that we make the practicalities around who takes leave are are constraints and have to be kind of treated in treated in different ways because actually the dynamics are very different the more the the more we get in terms of extended leave and and opportunities for dads to be more actively involved in their children's lives then the more we we get towards that sense of parenting rather than motherhood or fatherhood i think that's the real that's the real big win and i think it's one of the really big wins that societal sort of overflow from giving extended leave but one of the things really important within organizations is to make sure the line managers move with those policy decisions because often it's the pressure it's the pressure and the and the comments and the suggestions that gatekeeping sense that actually it's for for a man considering taking leave he may be entitled to really great leave but if his boss takes him to one side and said yeah i, I don't want you to take that leave because you know it's going to affect me it's going to affect the team you know i you know it's going to affect your prospects that becomes a really difficult conversation so you can have a brilliant culture corporately but you can have yeah. pockets of line management where which are potential blockers and making sure the line managers understand kind of the policy and hearts and minds at that point because that can be the really that's the really difficult piece and it's really striking that my coaching conversations initially is like well tell me about work tell me about your department and men every single time will say my boss is brilliant he really gets it she really gets it she's been really supportive of my leave it's it's front and center of what men say when they as part of the conversation about why they're taking leave and and how they're looking to develop their career post leave and when they come back and that side of things so it sounds like there's some brilliant areas of culture that's happening but it's still work in progress to get to that understanding of parenting and the importance of parents taking leave uh, to, to spend with their families and it's yeah it, absolutely and it's and it's about understanding that men do want to take leave and if you give them the opportunity and you and you create you create the right framework around leave for men that men will take it when it's when it when they can afford to and that well-paid leave they will take it absolutely yeah. ian sadly time's got the better of us as you said i'm sure we could create another several podcasts <laughs> um, but for this one time's got the better of us I, I hope our listeners i'm sure they have have taken huge amounts of value from from that especially dads that are that are listening and being a father myself i i totally get all of those points that you've mentioned and really highlighted i guess the journey that i've been on before i let you go um i always ask my my guess one final question and at coaching focus we have a very simple purpose which is coaching for a better tomorrow mm. so from your perspective what does coaching for a better tomorrow mean i think for me within my field i think that the really big opportunity is within gov government legislation is in is equalizing the amount of leave that's in it, it's in, on the statute book so for men it would be six weeks of paid paternity leave that men could access regardless of whether they're self-employed or in organizations if you set that um sort of that's that that floor in the right place then organization organizations will enhance on top of it you see it in switzerland as well if you when the minimum comes up it improves the opportunities and when men take and when have men have the opportunity to take leave and when it's it's paid and they can afford to do it they will take it and that builds a better better connections with their with their children and better connections within their relationships Great. And that creates a better tomorrow. 
Absolutely. So, Ian, thank you so much. It's been a real pleasure. And uh, as I say, I'm sure our listeners have taken a lot from our conversation. So thank you. My pleasure, Trayton. Thank you.